have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm chapter 130. We have been in the Psalms since uh, May 2016. So we're just been working on it slowly but surely. Uh, God has been very good uh, uh, to us during this time. And um, a kind of an introduction to the Psalm. The Psalm, we called this sermon series uh, Prayers for Life. And the reason is, is because uh, as, as a pastor, I was like, what's my job? And one of my jobs, I figured, was to teach people how to pray. But I didn't know how to pray. I was just really stuck in that situation. And so I came across a, a saying that said that the Psalms were the prayer book of the Bible. So I started reading the Psalms uh, on a daily basis. And I just read them. I would say, dear Lord, at the beginning, and amen at the end. And I was, I was curious. I was like, why am I praying this into my life? Why am I praying this into my life? And as, as I thought about it over and over, it started to make sense. But it's taken this long to do it, to be honest, to where now I'm, I'm comfortable praying the Psalms, even the Psalms that uh, sound a bit more negative, like kick them in the teeth or whatever. I'm like, okay, yeah. Like, actually, I've been fine with that the whole way through. So <laughs> that's just true. But, but now, like, even though some of these Psalms that haven't made sense now make a bit more sense. And it's, it's kind of like, I knew that we needed a long time in the Psalms just to learn how to pray. Because it's not something you can learn quickly overnight. Yes, you can learn the Lord's Prayer, but even Jesus that taught the Lord's Prayer in his high priestly prayer had a much lengthier prayer than that. Even Jonah in the belly of the whale, he prayed some of the Psalms. This is what he did. So in times of distress, we can go and we can go, okay, God, I don't know what to pray. I'm going to pray the Psalms and we're going to get through it. And so it's been a beautiful, beautiful thing. And and one of the things that we did, and I'll explain this graphic real quick before we get going. Um, I took pictures, uh, it, this took a while too, took pictures of between 1 and 150 just all throughout Everett and all throughout Snohomish County. And during this time, it was actually pretty difficult to find each of these numbers. I, I don't know whose address this is. It might be one of yours. Might, is it yours? It's not yours? Okay, so I don't know. It might be somebody's in here. I guess not, but um, the 130, uh, but as I was looking for these numbers, I, um, I just realized that God was teaching me like in hard times and in hard places to look for his grace as well. And it's a little bit about what this psalm is about today, but we can just go and look for grace in the midst of all, uh, it's all around us. We just have to have our eyes open to it and keep looking, but um, I, I would love for us to, if you could, we're just going to pray this prayer together. And you guys are going to uh, read the bolded sections, and then I will read the unbolded. But, uh, Jim, you can, you can skip to that slide. So if you guys would, one last time, maybe, stand up and we'll pray the psalm. So you guys read the bold. Psalm 130, a song of ascent. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should watch my pleas. O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than a watchman for the morning, more than a watchman for the morning. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel. 
from all his iniquities. You guys may be seated. So, amen. This is the prayer of a traveler. The Psalms of Ascent, is, uh, it means that they were traveling. They were traveling to, um, they were traveling probably to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Booths at the time. And um, it, for those who didn't live in Jerusalem, it would have been camping. You would have been camping the entire way to Jerusalem or staying in a, a, a place. And then the Feast of the Booths, where they probably uh, more than likely would have sung the Psalms of Ascent on the steps of the temple, um, they, they would have been sleeping in tents, just remembering that they're sojourners, that they're travelers, that they're on a journey, that it's not, um, that they're, this home, this earth that we call home, is not our true home, but our true home is with God in heaven. And I find it amazing that in these 16 prayers, they kind of do follow the life of a camper. And I know this because I, at least for the last two years, I have camped for over 16 days straight. And um, uh, my wife said, not again. So I guess this is, that time is done now. It's sealed. But I've done this the last couple of no days. And it's funny because this is the 11th the 11th one, and about the 11th day in, when you're camping, without fail, there is a sense that camping is the worst idea in the world. There is a sense that you're just done, that you never want this again, that it's, um, you're looking, the hotels, even like the, even like the ones that you don't want to go to, like, they look really good. Even like the yurts, you're like, man, that would be magnificent. The RVs start to look more majestic than they ever had before, and you start trying to figure out your finances to be able to buy one for next year. And that's, that's this idea. And this is also the 11th prayer of the Psalms. And it makes sense that it starts off, out of the depths I cry to you. Or the message translation says, help God, the bottom has fallen out of my life. And oftentimes... Uh, we feel this way. This seems about right, having it be, uh, be there. And I, I think about it like this. Right in the middle of amazing vacations where you are in the majestic views that God has for you, that's where I've been, the glorious wonders, there's still the junk. There's still the garbage of real life. There's still times when you feel like the bottom is falling out and the, the garbage that you're realizing um, it, it is not your real life and you long for it to be gone and you know that and you know that without a doubt in those moments that you are a traveler you're trying to make the best of it but you know that you're just not home yet you just know that and even though good things are happening in your life like rest and relaxation you still feel like you're suffering in the moment like hot dogs again is a real suffering for campers I think and it's not I think about it this way this psalm teaches us that it's not embarrassing to suffer. How many of you guys have felt embarrassed for suffering? Yeah? Whether it be big things or little things, and we, we don't have to feel embarrassed for it. We suffer all the time. Even some things are minor, and even sometimes there's suffering in the midst of great joy. Like, I've got all this wonderful stuff going on, but um, I'm still suffering. And so... Far too often we feel silly, silly for our suffering and we don't talk about it. Not even to God, like you feel like, well, I don't want to complain to God. I just want to be faithful and walk. And suffering is not an embarrassment and it's not silly. It may, be, uh, it may seem that way to a culture that seems to like to hide stuff or dismiss suffering or like when we have pain, we're like, no, we're good. And we don't want to talk about it. And then when somebody's like, no, I'm not good. 
and then they start actually sharing your stuff, you're like, why are they so whiny? But yet, if you read the Psalms, the prayers that they have before God are nothing but whiny over and over and over and over again. And so we, in, in the culture that we get to live in with Christ, we get to come to grips with the fact that, yeah, we suffer. Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small. And we get to know that he is the way out of suffering. And, and I think sometimes, like, as friends, we try and, like, when somebody's complaining to us, we try and move them out of the suffering. But wouldn't it be amazing if we just let them sit with their suffering? Try not to get them out of it, but just let them know that you love them and you're just there for them. That's what Christ does to us, and that's what this prayer is. Life has a way of letting you know that you need mercy and grace. If you allow your life to speak to you in this way, and things aren't always peachy keen, but you can just go, man, I'm struggling here. In, the, in these moments, there's no answers that may, uh, may be a bigger blessing than we initially realized. So sometimes we're like, we want to get out, but we can't. And anytime anybody says, try this, try that, we're just like, nah, it's not working. So all that's left for us is we get to cry out. We get to beg God for his grace and mercy to enter into our lives. And this is what prayer is, where we're asking God for this. It's a plea for grace and mercy in our lives. And we get to break out of what we may feel like is silliness, even for slight things, and cry out. Jesus will understand and be there for us. I pray that we may, as this psalm does, let go of our fears around around uh, crying and looking weak, that we can let go of our fears and then allow that in prayer to lead us towards hope in, in something that is greater than us. Amen? Like, that's, that's what we get to do here. And I think about the placement of this psalm. It, this psalm comes right after Psalm 126, my favorite psalm, a reversal of fortune where good things are going to happen. So you got great things happening. This comes after our feeling blessed for our children in Psalm 127. This comes after our prayer for a long and blessed life in Christ in Psalm 128. And this prayer comes after uh, the prayer in which we declare that we're still standing, that nothing can take us away from Christ. Where, and then we get to Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O God. Out of the depths I cry to you. We were on a roll. Like we had a lot of good things going. And then this. Where we've all had great stuff happening. And then the day comes in the midst of all this greatness. Where again we just get to go out of the depths Lord. I'm just feeling low. I'm feeling low. And I get to cry out to you. And it is in these places where our hope is tested. And not only tested but renewed. And we anticipate God to do something amazing in these moments, we wait and we watch for God to do something. And we don't know what it is, but we know that we can wait. We are going through, uh, what we are going through is outside of our hands. And we need to realize this, that so many times we can't fix it. All we can do is leave it up to God. And so we need God to show up and hear our cries. This psalm, one of the things I love about this psalm, is this psalm assumes that the sin um, is on us. It's not from God. Whatever suffering this is, it's brought on by us. It's out of the depths I cry. The bottom's falling out of my life. Lord, if, um, if, if you should mark iniquity, who can stand against you? 
And so I need mercy in this moment. This psalm says that we are the ones with whom the wrong lies. And yet, we know with that we appeal for God to grace and mercy in this moment. In this verse, in 5 and 6, it says, uh, it lets us know that we are waiting with hope. That this is not just without hope, that we are waiting with hope. We hope in his word, which John 1 tells us that his word is, that church answered, Jesus, that his word is Jesus. We're waiting for Jesus to show up and just do work in our lives. We're waiting for him to come in and renew us day by day. And we know his mercies are new every morning, so we wait for the morning and the new day to come. And, uh, and with that, may it be a blessing. I love these lines more than a watchman for the morning. And I love that it's repeated more than a watchman for the morning. The watchman for the morning means that we, do, we can wait, but we're not without despair. We're not without hope. We know what the next day will bring. We know that it will come. And if it doesn't, then we're with him in heaven, right? Because no, tomorrow's not promised. But we know that if tomorrow comes, the sun will come up with it. Whether we see it or not here in the Northwest is a whole other story. But it will come up, and that's what his mercies are like for us. We can be certain that just as the sun will come up tomorrow, that God will give us a new day, and we know that his mercies and his grace will be there for us. A, a, night, a nightman's job is kind of boring, and it, ends with, it has a very predictable end. The sun comes up, and it's over. And then they go, and they go and do what they were supposed to do in that time. And so as each new day dawns, we can see that as our hope is in Jesus, as we're crying for the depths, that we can see that Jesus is there and that Jesus is doing so much. And number one, Jesus is granting us mercy to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Mercy is granted by the one that has the power. It's not granted by someone, I mean, you can be merciful, somebody who doesn't have power can be merciful, but if someone in power grants uh, merciful, or grants mercy, then this is a powerful thing. And this prayer assumes that, we, again, that we're not totally okay with God, but that we've somehow been an offense to his holiness, and yet we are not without hope. And we know that even though we don't measure up to God, God isn't sitting there above us like, so disappointed in you he's not doing that because we know he is waiting to grant mercy to those who ask so let us ask for it let us ask let let us say lord please let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy we get to cry out and ask for this mercy that means again that we need mercy and we get to admit that we need it we need the kindness of god in the form of mercy in our lives and there are times in the Psalms when we cry out because we've been unjustly dealt with, right? Lord, they're persecuting me. Why? Without cause. They have no reason to do this. And, and in, in those times, we ask God to release us from those troubles. Sometimes we do so nicely. Sometimes we ask God to take care of them in not so nice ways. But here in this prayer, it appears that we are the offenders and we have to humble ourselves. This is a key, I think, to it. We have to humble ourselves to know that even though we are ones that are offended at time, we also have times where we offend. And we strive not to, 
But when we do, we need mercy. And not only mercy, but we need forgiveness and grace here as well. Right? It says in verse 4, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And then in verse 7 it says, For with the Lord there is steadfast love. As this prayer of someone who knows that they've sinned, and the only way out of sin is forgiveness, and so they repent. They confess their sin to Jesus, expecting him. See, it's not like a hopeless, like, again, God's not disappointed, but we're expecting him to grant forgiveness according to his nature. And I think for us humans, forgiveness is a tricky thing, right? I mean, it can be granted without repentance uh, from human to human, but it, it doesn't feel complete, does it? If someone never says, I'm sorry to you, like, it's really hard to forgive them, isn't it? Because you're like, I don't know if they get it. And you kind of want them to. But yet, Jesus doesn't do that. Because with repentance, and confession and repentance, there can be this renewal of a relationship that makes the relationship stronger. That you recognize that Jesus sees you as not perfect, and yet Jesus bestows his love on you is an amazing thing that he forgives your sin and that in forgiving your sin he sees you as complete and whole but even the forgiveness never takes away the seriousness of sin in our lives sin is serious forgiveness cancels the wrong but it never makes it okay to sin in other words just because we are forgiven doesn't give us the right to go on sinning. It does just the opposite. It encourages us not to sin and live into the fear of the Lord. I think in this, if we admit our right place before Jesus, he is the one who can forgive us perfectly. In this psalm, it says that we, we ask forgiveness, that you may be feared, or we can, say, we can say that we ask forgiveness, Lord, may you be in your right place. May you be the Lord and not us. And if we're Christians, if we are following Jesus, we want Jesus to be elevated above us. Amen? Like, he is the one who grants mercy. He is the one in the position of preeminence above us. He is the one who grants this forgiveness of sin, and it's through the blood of his cross. His broken body, and I'm bummed that we're not celebrating communion today. Maybe we'll have a moment of silence during that time. But I'm bummed that we're not taking it because it's his broken body and his shed blood shows us the extent that he is willing to go to forgive us. He knew we'd sin against him, and thus we need forgiveness. So I think that this psalm, this psalm encourages us to repent. Admit, admit to Jesus the errors we make, and in this confession, we are freeing ourselves from the guilt that sin accrues in our lives. We are freeing ourselves from the weight that comes with sin, and we are giving it to Jesus, and Jesus takes it on the cross and says, no more, and it's a beautiful thing. And when we are honest with our sin and our need forgiveness, then we can start to walk with the freedom that God has intended for us. Now, I don't think this is easy. At least there's not, I, I don't think it's easy to, Put together a timetable for this. Jesus' forgiveness is instantaneous. When we confess, he says yes. However, oftentimes, like our own ignorance, our own ignorance to what may be a sin and what may not be, right? Our own blind spots. Some of us uh, commit the same sin over and over and over, and we just don't recognize it, right? Are you guys in that camp, or is it just me? You guys can see it in me, so and I can see it in you, so I know this is true. So maybe not. You guys are new, so you might be perfect for all I know. So who knows? So, um, but, but in this, uh, there's also 
um, sometimes there's an unwillingness to admit that we are wrong and, and thus an unwillingness to seek forgiveness. Have you guys ever been there? Because I have. Sometimes, again, we don't know what we've done wrong. And sometimes uh, we've done wrong and we don't even feel sorry for it yet. And sometimes it takes time. And it depends on the sins that we've committed. But here is this. We get to make time in our hearts and in our lives to deal with sin in our souls. We get to slow down for a minute and think about the areas where we sin. Again, I'm not saying, like, just think about your sin all the time. That's what I'm not saying. But this does not discourage us. But as one who has hope that in Jesus there is forgiveness for all the wrong we've done, we get to look at this and go, you know what? Yes, that sin is great, but God's love is greater. As this verse goes on, we learn that with the steadfast with the Lord there is steadfast love. And this word in the Hebrew is hased, which is often translated grace, which grace is unmerited, undeserved, just favor, simple favor from God. And we need this grace. Amen. But this steadfast love is unending as well. It never stops. God's grace never fails to shine on us. It shines on us forever. And he sees us and knows us. And even the stuff uh, we don't want others to see, he still sees that. And the extent of his steadfast love covers that. We need his grace. We need this grace to cover all our sins. And in Jesus, we have the grace that we need. And then there's hope. We wait eagerly for the coming of mercy. We wait eagerly for the coming of grace and forgiveness. We wait for the light of, of, of life to rise and shine into our darkness and drive it away completely. Amen? Are any of you guys there yet? Not quite, right? So not quite. So we're all in the same place. And we want God's light to drive it out completely. We wait for our redemption to be complete. And this waiting is done with a type of certainty rather than with doubts. I'm not saying you can't have doubt in the middle of it. I'm just saying that we know. In all the talk about sin that we've just done, we know that we are not without hope. I've thought often that if we focus on our sin, it'll take away hope, right? Like, oh, look at me. I'm just dirty. I'm wretched. And there's a certain point where you can just get morbidly introspective and and focus in on your sin. But as Christians, we don't ever focus on the sin. What we focus on is Jesus. We look to Jesus. We follow Jesus. Jesus is the one who feeds us and waters us and sustains us and keeps us going. In Jesus, we pay attention to his love and his righteousness in our life, and we try and live out of that, rather than living out of this uh, area where we know that we still have sin. Yes, we get to admit it, but in our hopes, we project that, you know what, I'm blameless before, before God. I can walk with him. In this, we don't look at our sin very long because Jesus is there forgiving us. He's there granting us mercy and grace for all our sins, all the ways we don't measure up. Jesus has it covered, and he still says, I love you, follow me. And we go, okay, that's what we're going to do. This is our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Our focus is not on all the bad. Uh, By the way, that doesn't bring pleasant times most of the time, and there are times for it, but... Our hope is in Christ, and as our hope is in him, we know that just as the sun rises, his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness will be enough for us. And this last, this last word, it says, 
a couple times it says, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Redemption gives depth and meaning. It means this. It means that we've been bought. That we've been bought by a price. Forgiveness and grace, although free, they came at a price, and that price is the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. His death on the cross was the purchase for our lives. And we've been purchased from this. We've been purchased out of slavery, right? From death into life. From sin into righteousness. This is what we've been purchased out of, from slavery to death and sin to, uh, to bondservant uh, of righteousness. And bondservant is one who has been paid for, who's been paid for, and they say, oh, I'm not going to serve that, but I'm going to dedicate my whole life to serving the one that I am a bondservant to. And we are bondservants to Jesus. And we can see this idea of redemption over and over and over again in the Bible. We can read it in Genesis, Exodus, all the way through Revelation. This theme is a big deal that we were slaves and now we're not because of the blood of Christ. And that means that we, we were freed from our sins. So you know what we do? We submit ourselves. We submit ourselves to Jesus and serve his ways with our lives we let, uh, and this, I pray, this is my, my prayer this week. Let us live into this redemption. No longer serving the sins that we're so easily entangled by, but serving our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we, when we get into these times, right, when we get into the times where we're just, we feel like the bottom's fallen out, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. If, let me say this. If you're there, then you understand this. If you're not there, then build a platform to jump from from when you are there, knowing that God will tune his ears to you, that his grace and redemption will be with you during those moments. And, and I'd say this is that when we get in these times, let us not grow weary of crying out. God's voice won't be, um, or God's voice will be attentive to our pleas. When we sin, you know what there is? Forgiveness. And our forgiveness can be as sure as our hope, and our hope is as sure as the sun coming up again. When we hope in Jesus, Jesus never disappoints us. In Jesus, there is hope and steadfast love and grace and forgiveness and redemption. And so let us not grow weary in just walking with him. All this work is already complete and whole. And so you know what we get to do? Trust. Wait for it. Our suffering never negates the good work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Our suffering never negates his misery, or his misery, his mercy. I read that wrong. His mercy. It never negates his forgiveness. It never uh, negates his hope and grace and redemption. So let us wait for the goodness of Christ like a watchman, like a night watchman for the morning, knowing that day will come. And we can rest assured that in Christ, our life is being transformed. We are being changed more and more into his likeness. So let us endure this as well. So Jesus, we come before you, Lord. If we're in this spot where out of the depths we cry, Lord, will you be attentive and will you hear us? If we're not there, Lord, will you give us a platform to jump from, from where we are, when we are? And Lord, we do ask, we do ask for your forgiveness and your mercy for that, that our hope will be strengthened, 
that as our souls wait for you, that we can just trust that you are at work. And so, Lord, we thank you for your steadfast love and redemption. In Jesus' name, amen.